0: Welcome everyone, this is POSFO and test for Monster Learning, one of the most important days of the year, International Women's Day, a great opportunity and hopefully not only for a day, to recognize, admire, connect, and support the women in our lives, but most importantly, push for gender equality. Because regardless of you know, how forward-thinking you think you are, the truth is that we are far from achieving this. Unless you think it's okay for women to be paid on average 24% less than men, or for one-third of them to experience violence in their lifetime, most likely by someone they already know. If you want to find out more about how you can support women, go check today's big issue and they have plenty of ideas in there. That way, you support both women but also fight poverty. Win-win. You want a third win? Well, go to YouTube or Spotify and check what the Assyriologist Dr. Moody had to say about how our Mesopotamian ancestors were dealing with mental health 4,000 years ago. Back to 2021 and with me today a stellar example of what a woman can achieve. I'm going to follow a bullet point approach as there is no other way, to be honest, I can fit everything in there. So let's start. Woman, medical doctor, neuroscience researcher, immediate past president of the Medical Women's Federation, psychiatry president of the Royal Society of Medicine, psychiatrist of the year 2020 award from the Royal College of Psychiatrists, recipient of any any actually any national and international prizes on in the world you can think of i mean you know you, you get the picture and i've only scratched the surface most relevant though to today's topic she is the founder and director of the national center for gaming disorders the first relevant nhs clinic in the uk braincast people professor henrietta bowden jones prop welcome to braincast
1: Bosswell, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really looking forward to the next half hour. And thank you for making time for gaming disorder on your show.
0: At your services. So, Prop, let's start with a seemingly simple yet really important question, as it's going to set the scene of what we will be discussing today. So, what is gaming?
1: So, as a non gamer, uh the approach I'm going to take to answer this question will be different from yours you you yourself being a gamer so gaming Obviously, it's something that is done by the majority of people, of young people, particularly if we just look at this country for a moment. Uh, we know that it's a recreational activity that many people enjoy. It, it, it can have very uh, positive impact. We'll talk about that later. From my perspective, as the person who has set up the, the only NHS clinic for gaming disorders, uh, gaming Uh, I I perceive it slightly uh, differently in relation to my patients. So it's a way of escaping for some extremely complex situations at times. Uh, uh, Not just because in, uh, in their real life they're experiencing problems and they can escape by doing another activity, but because often they talk about a perfect life. So it's sometimes it's very moving to hear people who may be um, in foster care, people who may be struggling with parental arguments, violence in the family uh, or self-esteem issues, talking about their perfect life online and this opportunity, this second chance for many uh, is important. The other thing I'll talk about in terms of gaming is, as you know, it has a very strong social component nowadays. And so, and so, a lot of these uh, children are very isolated, often because of soci- societal and indeed um, uh, uh, environmental issues linked to stress, linked to bullying, linked to being misfits at times. Not all, by any means, uh, but the ones I'm thinking about. And this connects them to other people who game, who share their love without being uh, so obviously outcast as they are during their daily experiences at school. I'm talking young people here but of course I do also have older patients.
0: Fascinating. I mean, you know, profit is really common practice, I have to say, for modern societies to turn the blame upwards so rather than addressing you know fundamental flaws like inequality racism poverty etc etc there have been endless debates about how music lyrics movies cultivate a culture of violence and aggression at times leading i have to say to unnecessary censorship now in 2014 Malte Elson found conflicting evidence in his 25 years of research on violent in digital games and aggression paper, while a most recent paper in 2019, if I remember correctly, studying 1,000 youngsters found no evidence linking violent video games with aggression in adolescents. So what do you think?
1: Absolutely, what you say is right. And so this gives me the opportunity of talking about the need for large scale uh, research in specific areas of behavioural addictions. Gaming, we'll talk about it uh, further on in this in this interview, but uh, there is a dearth of independent research that looks at issues that are highly relevant and yes, I am aware of that study and I don't hold a position either way. The fact is that when it comes, you are talking about people who game and whether they are more violent you know the population I deal with I'm going to tell you something quite shocking now and that I was not expecting I set up the National Center for Gaming Disorders in 2019 Um, I thought that I knew enough about gaming disorder having sat on the advisory board uh, for behavioral addictions for the WHO I knew the intellectual part the academic part but what I didn't understand was the presentation of these children and I'll tell you now from the data we have just on the last year and a bit, 50 percent of our children have been violent towards their parents or siblings but significantly violent. Well in some cases the police have been called repeatedly, in some cases there has been uh, foster care involved. Now of course we're not talking causality here, I wouldn't dream of doing that, but what I'm telling you is that by the time you've lost control uh, and gaming is your um, uh, absolute compulsion, if anyone tries to take away um, the, the, the means in which you gain you can potentially become violent and it's very hard we have parents in tears all the time not knowing how to deal with it so I've slightly moved away from your uh, association between gaming and violence because I don't think there is as yet uh, you know uh, an exact answer I really don't know probably not if the latest study tells us not a thousand people is a lot of people but If that study was replicated on a wider scale globally, Mm -hmm. that would be an easier way to accept the results. As you know, sometimes with these uh, less studied topics, uh, you do need a few study replicating. So, but this issue of of, of the, Uh, the behaviours that we are dealing with, it is shocking and it is about violence and therefore our, you know, one of our very big jobs is to try and contain that violence in order to allow children to stay in the family home where indeed they want to remain.
0: But Prof, before we go into the dark side, Let's let's shed a bit of, you know, positivity, you know, and and a bit of light. The truth is that it's not all doom and gloom, you know, gaming and obviously not the gaming addiction that we're going to talk about, can undoubtedly have some benefits. So can can you tell us what are these?
1: Um, So, yes, and now not for my patients, I'm afraid. And I think, you know, I draw the line. It's a bit like asking me how, what are the benefits of gambling for my patients with gambling disorder at the National Problem Gambling Clinic? zero, okay. But if we look at a bigger population, you know, there are opportunities for achievement. Um, There's a safe way in which to compete and to learn about one's competitiveness. There's a safe way of developing uh, cognitive skills that allow you to, uh, you know, use them in a sort of real-life environment. You can build your self-esteem, you can build your social networks. All these things are possible, but not for my population. So you will get a very skewed um, view today uh, from me, but also I think, you know, um, having set up this clinic and having arrived at it from an addictions background, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm a psychiatrist, I'm an addiction specialist, um, the behavioral addictions concept Comes very much as one more mental illness for me. However, there are some amazing colleagues at the Royal College um, uh, who are doing great work using uh, gaming to do all sorts of uh, good things. I'm just mm. not, it's just that I personally am not an expert on that side of things.
0: So, o- on the same positive note, you know, last November it was all over the BBC News that, in fact, you know, playing video games is good for your well-being. With participants playing a particular game, of course, called Animal Crossing, for four hours a day, every single day, they were more likely to say that they feel significantly happier than someone who didn't. However, it was reported that those who felt compelled to play, for example, you know, because they were seeking to avoid stress elsewhere in their lives, as you alluded to earlier, that they had reported being less content. So, is that where what would cross the line? Is that where the issues start arising?
1: Yes, I'm very pleased you 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 brought up this this piece of work because maybe it does point to that uh, threshold let's say so we know and I will at at times in answering your questions I may dip into other behavioral addictions because there is more research um, in in, uh, gambling uh, even though there isn't enough uh, than there is in gaming Uh, but what we do know is that when uh, when gaming disorder or let's say gambling disorder um, uh, is set it it, you know is present the enjoyment side of things disappears that loss of control Mm. that is critical the loss of control moment is when you go from doing something recreationally that you used to enjoy to doing something compulsively and the the loss of control is inherently linked to harm because it it entails an inability to, uh, to apportion enough Time or mental, uh, m- uh, mental focus, uh, or physical time on things that matter. Now with this young, younger population, we're talking about academic work often, and most of the people I see either have refused to go to school for a very long time and have social services involved, or are attending school, and are underperforming in relation to their cognitive ability. Mm-hmm. Now this uh, is not something they live happily, this is causing them enormous distress. So they are living a dual situation where they are compulsively doing the gaming to self-medicate, something Mm. that is worse as the environment brings more stress as they drop out of the sports teams. A lot of our people are quite competitive so many would have done well in sports teams on other things, um, uh, you know, some of them will have been doing well at school, and suddenly their position in class uh, um, falls. So there is that moment where you realise the negativity and the loss of control. There is no enjoyment at that point. It's merely wow. something that is better uh, than how it, um, you know, how. It, it, it's it's better than not having it. Um, so I think that's right. Whereas remember, plenty of people can game uh, for hours very happily. If you are in control, it's no different from Uh, Reading a book or watching Netflix, Um, you know there is nothing prohibitionistic about um, uh, you know an NHS approach to treating gambling disorder. We accept that it is really a small number of people who have those vulnerabilities. Now, I'm not suggesting the industry doesn't have a role, and we will be discussing that later. But certainly, um, you know, not everyone who is playing a lot uh, needs to be considered uh, suffering harm from gaming.
0: You know, Prof. As, as I was preparing for our conversation, you know, I was thinking to myself, so why, why do we need all this? You know, essentially, all behaviors can at some point become pathological. So why do we need all these different fancy categories? And then, of course, as I was thinking about it, I came across that editorial by Griffiths and Pontes titled "Internet Addiction" with really big letters. Internet addiction and internet gaming disorder are not the same. And then others, you know, other papers purporting that, you know, mobile gaming and console gaming is not the same and so on and so forth.
1: So that's endless. Yeah, so it's very confusing. I mean luckily it's not confusing for me that you know having set up the clinic but it it took me about it took it took us the team a very long time to get some clarity Uh, again luckily may I just refer to the WHO special interest um, you know special advisory group because a lot of that work was you know was initially done there for me to understand what I needed to do in England for this clinic so you know we know there's a there, there are great papers by people like Daniel King Uh, psychologist, uh, but one of the eminent world experts on uh, screening tools uh, prevalences, etc, on gaming disorders. So, you know, a very recent paper identifies, I think, 27 screening tools for gaming disorder, you know, 45 tools if we I, if we look at a bigger picture. And so the issue, and, and you know, I'm sure we'll have a moment to talk about prevalence, but there is a real lack of understanding uh, when we speak about gaming disorder, because people do tend to conflate internet um, uh use uh excessive internet use which could be anything it could be you know uh social media time um with with gaming and and uh this means that many of the screening tools that are being used uh particularly when you see this crazy prevalences of you know 27 percent i think is the highest i've ever seen um wow. in, I can't remember where in some anyway but the point is one of the issues is that um that they are they, they are asking about all activities online, and that of course is missing the point. So why do we need why do we need, for example, a clinic like the National Center for Gaming Disorders? Well, until uh, the clinic existed, I was unable to uh, treat what I thought would end up being a very small number of children as it happens you know NHS England in their long-term plan in 2019 factored in 15 more clinics 14 more clinics for gambling to replicate my national problem gambling clinic it was like 11 years after I started the first one but eventually we got we got the replication it took a while Um, uh, but with the national center for gaming disorders you know they really they really understood that I was begging them to you know to provide something so they apportioned a little bit of money and I said I'm sure it's going to be enough they allowed us to see 50 people a year the sad reality is that we've gone three times over that in terms of our work Um, and it's so it's not an epidemic in any way many people don't even know we exist uh, we had a Sunday Times, so this might be interesting for some people listening, um, not not yesterday but the Sunday before, the Sunday Times ran a, a five-page piece on our clinic wow. and on getting disorders um, and the next day there were 25 new referrals so partly we wow. don't, people don't know about us but also I really don't think it's an issue that affects an enormous amount of people but exactly how many we don't know. Um, with the gambling clinic, uh, over a decade ago, I thought I could do it in my special interest and many people, many people were saying, yes Henrietta, why do you need a clinic? Just do it as a special interest, you know, and within, within a year we, we were up to hundreds and soon after that, you know, we, we were sort of 900 referrals a year. So, you know, and now all we need is to, we can see as you know, there are, we know there are half a million People with gambling disorder in the country and 2 million people who are at risk already scoring for harm. So what will happen to gaming disorder? We don't know. But certainly without a diagnosis, a lot of the CAMS teams can't even refer to us. They can't even begin that Mm -hmm. conversation to involve social services, they can't put people out to put them into foster care when they're hurting their parents, physically harming them or trying to jump out of windows. Um, So that's why really uh, it has been such a privilege to be able to to lead this clinic and also very much to have something recognised that by the way, I had been shouting about for about five years, there's a there's a piece in the Daily Mail, I think it dates back six or seven years where I'm going, we need a children for young people gaming. And and people were just laughing at it, but you see, and maybe this, I, I, I'm not sure who's listening today, but there will be quite a lot of trainees, you know, if you, you need to follow your gut instinct, if you think, something deserves attention. Don't give up if people tell you it doesn't because you know, pursuing that, pursuing that as an expert will eventually give you the tools to convince people that something is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but,
0: yes, but, but prof, you, you, you're right that you know that issues around defining and diagnosing the disorder itself and of course you know heterogeneity in the relevant studies did lead to lack of clarity about how often we see the gaming disorder in this population. And essentially, it was a recent study, I think last year, published in the Australian and New Zealand Journal of Psychiatry, that Hugh Stevens reported that the global prevalence of gaming disorder is between two and three percent, something like that. But on a similar note though, something that I found really interesting, it was only earlier this month, that say Young Zone published a paper in Frontiers, where the team found that of young adults reported smartphone addiction with a significant associated impact of sleep. Now, what I find interesting though, is the inverse association between age and addiction. So is it something only relevant to youngsters? So gaming addiction, is it only relevant to youth or are we expecting gaming addiction to become something more universal as we all grow older?
1: Uh, I love your question. I think we need some longitudinal, well-funded, independent studies to answer that. We, we we know that in behavioral addictions, we have spontaneous remission in a way that is far more frequent than with alcohol or drugs. Um, and so there will be people coming in and out. Uh, of uh, what is actually a scoring for uh, case or uh, uh, caseness for, for, for disorder and um, so that's fascinating we also have an enormous amount of youngsters who as they mature their frontal lobes develop more their life sh- changes they have more significant relationships, they have a stronger role in life, will move away uh, from what they're finding emotionally nurturing, their friendships on gaming platforms and will move to other behaviors where they can be more productive. So um, all of that is important, but to be honest, you know, longitudinal studies in specific populations are vital. What we we can't do is to say, because in China, people are doing this and they are uh, uh, switching at a certain age from this product to that product, this will happen in the UK. No, you know, and I, by the way, feel it's inexcusable that uh, neither gambling disorder nor gaming disorder has had the apportioning of funds that it needs for us to understand the extent of harm Mm. harm to society, harm in terms of who is vulnerable, uh, the evidence base around what interventions work in terms of prevention and treatment, none of this has happened, I mean we are really in the dark ages in relation to this, Mm -hmm. however Possible. Going back to your original question, um, uh, the, the two to three um, is, uh, percent is is a prevalence that that has been quoted um, by by more than by more than one expert as a possibility. Okay. Um, so uh, I I, uh, I I would like to be more optimistic. I'd like to I'd like to hope that it's less than 3%, you know, I'd like to hope that it might be 1%. Um, but even then, of course, it would be an enormous amount of children in need of help. sure we'll have an opportunity of talking about the comorbidity side, uh, but certainly you need both large scale prevalence surveys, they need to be funded independently of industry and they need to also have a longitudinal component because we need to know whether the same populations are coming back. Now one thing about the age, uh, I still remember getting a call from a man who was in his 40s, who was driving down the motorway and he heard me speak being interviewed on the radio, Radio 4 program about gaming disorder and he said he had to pull over in tears because for the first time in his life he had heard about the fact that what was ruining his life was actually an illness Um, and -hmm. it was his call that got me to speak to NHS England and say look we thought it was going to be only children uh, yes we can treat uh, from 13 upwards but let's not stop at 25 this is what we were doing we were stopping the, the commissioning at 25 let me treat this man and of course after him came others 38 year olds who don't brush their teeth for a year because wow. they're cleaning in the morning you know um wow. five year old women who are on candy crush and can't stop uh, people spending thousands and thousands of pounds on games, they don't want, you know, on, on in-game purchases that they don't have, so it, yeah.
0: Prof, what I find really interesting and fascinating is the differences between the two sexes, as it has been consistently reported that boys are more prone to develop gaming addiction than girls, what yeah. struck me, though, was a 2016 study by and published in Psychology of Addictive Behaviours, where they studied a really large uh, you know, population, it was 24,000 adults or something like that, yeah. in an online cross sectional survey. So now what they found is that being male was significantly associated with addictive use of video games, whereas being female was significantly associated with addictive use of social media.
1: Yeah. So can you tell me more? Well, um, you know, we, there have been sort of twin studies uh, on, you know, on, on thousands of twins that also ha- happen to have seen that the compulsive element is shared uh, and very similar. But that the choice of how one does that carries out the compulsion does tend to draw boys towards gaming. So that you know there 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 have been you know more than one study looking at that. And I must say that uh, them I have undoubtedly found some cultural. Um, uh, right. it, within behavioral addictions in general uh, there are cultural barriers certainly in adults uh, I think people find it harder to come forward uh, women find the stigma attached you know let me mention gambling disorder for a moment uh, we would treat we would be treating a lot more women if the stigma wasn't so great if they weren't so scared of telling their partners, their spouses, their parents about this problem and you know then it gets worse they get into debt and they end up you know in court. Uh, They worry about being considered bad mothers, um, not spending time thinking about their children. So with gaming because the age is earlier one potentially could be um, uh, lowering that stigma just because of the uh, earlier onset. Um, We are seeing girls uh, but we don't see as many uh, as many girls as boys by far. You know, we may be seeing uh, I, uh, maybe something like two in ten, something like that. When they okay. come, they're quite severe. Uh, they're quite severe and the presentation then is identical there is you know impulsivity uh, um, inability to delay gratification uh, there are often uh, environmental circumstances that are really impacting on their wish to escape their reality um, and uh, and but, but the, the people under the duvets that you know you read about the ones who are gaming and are not eating with their families they're not going outside, those tend in general to be boys. Mm. Up to now. Mm. But that doesn't mean that does not mean that there are no girls doing that. It's just in terms of my experience in the new year, that's an important message. Yeah.
0: Of course, in, in 2019, Ji Liang Wang showed that adolescents with mobile game addiction had higher self-reported depression, social anxiety, and loneliness. So what about the other way around? So would you say, and actually one of our attendees, actually Alan, is asking if we can talk about you know gaming and ADHD. I won't make yeah. it that you know really specific. My question would be something more like obviously if you know about the link, go for it. Is there is a possible bi-directional relationship between gaming addiction and other health mental health issues? Uh,
1: uh, absolutely. Um and we again um we will need some high quality research in this field. But we know, uh, we already know that uh, the people we are seeing who are presenting with low self-esteem, with social, an enormous amount of social anxiety, uh, depression, uh, significant wish to self harm, uh, suicidal thoughts, you know, in young people. Again, this uh, took me by surprise when I first opened the clinic. I wasn't expecting such incredible, um, you know, extremes. Um, uh, but equally, uh, what we know, and of course, we. Uh, so we're seeing all of this, but this is in people with gaming disorder already. So there are consequences to cutting yourself away from all the positive things that you used to do. And there are uh, possible consequences such as the ones I've discussed. But of course, the bidirectionality comes in because we see people Uh, with autism, we see people on the spectrum, we see people with uh, ADHD, we see people with already diagnosed depression, set in, Um, you know, an example would be people who have ended up, uh, uh, many of our patients are people who are very highly bullied at school, who develop all sorts of symptoms prior to turning to gaming as an escape and a Um, self-medication we have people who are living through acrimonious divorces uh, who Mm. are taking refuge in gaming because the family the house is a very scary place. Um, There are people, several people I've spoken to, because I'm still doing most of the assessments, nearly all the assessments, so I'm very much getting the sort of frontline feel, you know, people moving to a new area. So they've had the the marriage of the parents collapses, they are then moving with their mother, always their mother, in a place that is scary to them because it's often a bit unsafe, you know, they don't feel they know anyone, uh, they prefer to so suddenly their life is brought online at, as a coping strategy, uh, and at times to keep them safe, to stay away from gang. You know, you hear that quite a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so we've got this definite bi-directionality here. Um, absolutely true. And uh, and I'm glad, I'm glad that has been raised. Um, but not, you know, when I started the clinic, people would say everyone you're going to see will have autism that is most definitely not the case but wow. the majority of people we see uh many people we see have not had a very easy life some have and i would argue that the ones who have had uh, an easier life may be the ones who have been most uh impacted by the genetics of the transmission. We know there's a, you know, significant genetic component and and that genetic component may be impacting on some more than others. So with behaviour addictions, if we think of gambling disorder, there aren't many, um, there isn't one single way into gambling disorder. There are many. And when okay. I see, you know, when I see a 17-year-old who has stolen his father's credit card and has lost a hundred thousand pounds in one night, I will always look for a gambling grandfather You know and you will nearly always find one and that child may have had a great life, no early life traumas but that genetic transmission will have been there. So with gaming you know we need to kind of become a lot more sophisticated and I think genetics will play a very big part in our true understanding of the uh, vulnerabilities and potentially also what kinds of treatments we decide to to go for because you know, in, in gambling, we use naltrexone quite quite openly now, and people who weren't who didn't do very well with psychological interventions stop like that when they have that very very powerful um, uh, urge. And so, what is going to happen with gaming? Is it possible that a subsection of gamers uh, stop that way if they are so out of control?
0: Prof, as, as, we expected, as we expected, we completely ran out of time, so we completely Thank failed you. to finish all our questions. However, there is so much passion in you that really, I don't care, I'm going to continue if, you, if you're happy with that for another four to five minutes. I have a clinic, so I really need to go later. I, I,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with that. I would like to add for anyone listening, yes. um, we, do have a web, we do have an email address um uh, now na- it's it, ncba national center for behavioral addictions ncba dot cnwl central northwest london which is our trust at nhs.net or you can just look me up and um, um, you know uh, and email me Um, and i will be delighted i've I've got two or three colleagues at the moment who are helping me at the clinic i always need more we are severely underfunded for what we see and there is room for, for learning so anyone enthusiastic can come and find me
0: Fantastic. So Prof, another five minutes and then I promise we're done. So there's one thing that I like is being devil's advocate. Not that I necessarily agree with the devil's views but still it always adds a bit more spice. So the 10 top earning gamers, so professional gamers, they have a combined 270 million followers across YouTube, Twitch and Mixer and they earned 121 million dollars last year. So are they addicted or are they just professionals?
1: I'm so glad you asked me this. Okay, Um, I'm delighted to be asked this. Of course, uh, it depends on the individual. There may be some people who are suffering harm and they're professional gamers. So please remove those from my generalization. But ultimately uh, it is now a profession that can be very lucrative we know that uh, whole teams are being raised and brought together like the in the old days the poker players who in las vegas would all live together they'd be part of teams they they would sleep during the day they would play at night with their black caps etc um if you enter something like that uh, in order to make money or because you enjoy it and you don't suffer any harm at all um it would be uh, ridiculous to call that an addiction. If you don't have proper harm, then it's not an addiction. It's a choice of life, you know, and who are we to decide what they should be doing. And certainly I learned a lot when I met uh, some of these professional, this is many years ago, when I, before setting up my gambling clinic, I needed to understand that difference. So I spoke to some and I was very clear there was no addiction there. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. So, government and industry. So, in South Korea, the government has introduced a law banning access for children under 16 from online games between midnight and 6 a.m. in the morning. In Japan, players are alerted if they spend more than a certain amount of time each month playing games. And in China, internet giant Tencent has limited the hours that children can play their most popular games. And the industry, on the other hand, according to Forbes, the video games industry's value will exceed 200 billion dollars by 2023. So how can governments and the industry support the work you're doing? Uh,
1: so I, I'm glad you bring up those examples. Those are very extreme examples and I was discussing them at one of the WHO meetings with the counterparts from those countries. Um, it does appear to be uh, Uh, Maybe more geographically specific and linked to culture. What I was told was that there is no time at the moment, the academic pressures are so great from such a young age. Uh, There is no time to go and play, there is no time for sport anymore. Parents want their children in the best possible university. And there is, so the only escape they have at the moment is through that gaming. And what you're seeing is everything has gone from real life onto gaming platforms for very limited times because the academic work takes priority. I was very interested in hearing about that. Um, Now uh, when it comes to our industry, I don't you know, I don't think we're anywhere near needing to do anything so draconian, but there is a lot that the gaming industry should do. The first thing is that you know maximum daily spend limits on all games and the ability to stop any spending, the parents in tears telling me that their money, their benefits, money or their savings wow. are being spent thousands of pounds a month sometimes so it it's got to be off by it's got to be on by default so that if you're an adult you can turn it off if you want to spend money but if you're a child you can't spend so that's important i think the age rating system for all games must be legally enforceable so you in the gaming industry you will be shut down if you are selling your stuff that has absolutely a harmful structural characteristics, um, and I think that's important. Uh, so, the, so that attention to structural characteristics is vital both in gambling and gaming. I think data sharing is going to be a great way forward, and I think there is some some appetite on the part of the gaming industry. I hear for some data sharing because large Mm. data sets would allow us to understand what behavioral uh, tracking is needed to identify people who are clearly doing things that are you know that are harmful for too much time uh, or, or for whatever reason. I think geolocation tracking has to come off. I mean, there are some risks that children are placed under. You know, the um, you know I have I have a lot of young people who are chatting to adults uh, online. You know, their parents are not even in the house at mm-hmm. times. So, so all that needs wow. to need. To. So I think there needs to be a loot box regulation. The government's doing that at the moment, doing a consultation to see. Um, and 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 overall, I think we do need a, a good, reliable harm index for products and a governmental body that keeps an eye on uh, people behaving in the industry. Really, I think that's and enough.
0: Before before I lose my job. So one last question that you have bullet point 30 seconds because you know in the end of the day you are the founder and director of the national center for gaming disorders which is essentially the first nhs clinic in the uk treating gaming disorder so in 30 seconds because i don't want to be without a job what's on offer and how can people be referred to your clinic
1: okay um, 30 seconds. Uh, so, uh, ncba.cnwl at nhs.net. If you want to refer or Google me, you'll find me. Uh, A. Uh, secondly, it's cognitive behavioral therapy. It's uh, online. It works better online than it does face to face. For these children, we offer treatment for parents and children, group and one to one. And if your child is younger than 13, we will treat you, the family, in order to help the child. Done.
0: Unbelievable! Braincast people, Professor Henrietta Bowden-Jones. One more reason to celebrate International Women's Day. And from the futuristic virtual realities of the Xboxes and Playstations of this world, we're going back to basics. Psychopathology, maybe the most underestimated, yet most frequently used tool of every practicing psychiatrist. With me, a Royal College of Psychiatrists Lifetime Achievement Award recipient, and author of one of the most famous books in descriptive psychopathology symptoms in the mind and professor femi Oyabodek. until then hospital and braincast for motto learning over and out